Well, I'm excited to uh, announce this morning that we are picking up again our studies of the Gospel of St. Matthew. Um, We've been in this for some time. We kind of do chunks um, at a time, and then we take breaks, and we study other things. Like this summer, we spent time in the Psalms. But if you're just joining us in the last year, and you want to catch up on our whole studies of Matthew... Um, you can find that on our website. We don't have all of our Matthew teachings because they go back to 2019. Um, We don't have them all on our podcast, but we do have them on our website. So if you want to catch up, you can do so there. Now, this next section of scripture that we are picking up on in chapter 9 is going to be about evangelism. And here's what that word, I think, does to us. We're we're kind of at a a certain time in Christian history where the idea of evangelism or mission can bring up a whole host of feelings for us. Some hesitations. I think the first thing, when when I talk with Christians about this, the first thing is there's a genuine desire to want to share your faith. I think most of us, having found what we found in the way of Jesus, genuinely want to share that with other people. I think even more so, the sense I get from Canadian Christians is that what we really want is to be our true self with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family. We don't want to feel like we're hiding a part of ourselves. We want to be open. We want to be honest about Jesus. The other thing that comes up quite consistently for people is guilt. Guilt at not doing it more. I think so there's this genuine desire. We also have guilt. And then there's fear. Fear at the idea of doing it more. That's a lot of conflicting feelings, isn't it? And then you put all of that in the context in which we exist, which is Canada, where there's a strong pressure to keep faith private. Which the idea that you should have to keep your faith private is a specific religious belief. Okay, so just so you understand that, the idea that every religion should have to keep their faith private is a very public religious belief. Okay? Because it's a belief about how all religions should function. So the idea of it being secular, meaning we all keep our faith private, and then we have this common life together where we keep faith out of it, is a specific faith system. Is a specific religious belief. Okay? So we live in that pressure. Keep it to yourself. Keep it quiet. And then I think there's this other component, which we don't talk a lot about publicly, but that's the embarrassment factor. That there are people in the Canadian church or in the Christian church who do evangelism in such a way that we feel embarrassed by it. That we feel is either too harsh or is motivated by selfish reasons. And we have a hard time with that. And it makes us kind of clam up even a little bit more. Is that fair? So when we hit this text of scripture, I'm going to be honest with you, I found myself, when I was really prepping this week, I was looking back 
on some of the things I said last Sunday. And I was like, oh, dang it. I think, I think Jesus is actually telling me the opposite of some of the things I said last week. Because some of the things I said last week were like, we, you know, let's keep it down out there. You know, don't invite tons of people to church. And then, and then because I, had, I didn't have my head in this text yet, and then I open it up and I'm sitting there and I'm praying and Jesus is like, you said what? I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. So part of my personal process has been going, oh yeah, no, I think I was feeling personally overwhelmed by things and I was thinking, why don't we keep things mellow for a while? And Jesus is going, it's not up to you. So I apologize for that. So what we get today I think, and what we're going to see over the coming sections of Scripture is this idea of harvest. That Jesus sees the world as ready, primed for a harvest. That he would go out and collect people. So what I want to talk about then over the next few weeks, what I think Jesus is talking about, because in this section of Scripture, he's training his disciples. First, he's going to call them. He's going to share his own motivations for it. Then he's going to call them to participate in it with them. And then he's going to train them on all the things that are going to happen and how he wants them to go about it. Does that seem actually kind of helpful for us? So I think what this is is a, is a season of that, of us being trained directly by Jesus and being sent out by him in a way that is congruent, natural, both with who we are as in Jesus, but also with the way of Jesus. So I think the goal is to receive it, integrate it, bring clarity to our own hesitations and misgivings, and be fully ourselves in Jesus in the world. How's that sound? So here's the three things that I want to look at today. What is Jesus' message? Who does he go to first? Like who is he prioritizing? And what are his motivations? So that's what we're going to look like for, at for ourselves. What is our message? Who are we called to go to first? And what are our motivations? Okay? So here's the back story, the context set up for those of you that forget or weren't with us in our previous studies here in Matthew. At this stage in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has gone fully public with his ministry and he's doing miracles, and he's doing a lot of teaching. We, we did a whole study on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, just before this, Jesus has resurrected a deceased girl, healed two blind men, and one man unable to speak. Um, we covered that in our worship series. So then what happens is this kind of natural response to seeing Jesus do that. The crowds marvel. The crowds are like, this is amazing. And we're stoked on this guy. And Jesus seems like everything we've been looking for. And so the phrase they use is, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. Just wonder. Now, the Pharisees respond to that statement. So think of it like this. It's like Jesus shows up in our church, does miracles and this radical teaching. And then you all say, We've never seen anything like this in our church before. And I'm sitting on the front row going, well, thanks for nothing. The Pharisees respond to Jesus by saying, 
we think he's an agent of Satan, essentially. Because they're jealous. Because they're threatened. Because really what's being, I think, shown is the quality of their ministry. Now, you're being compared to God in flesh, but still. The message they've been giving for all these years and the systems that they created in their synagogues are on trial, so to speak, in the presence of Jesus. And their response, instead instead of submitting to Jesus and saying, let's make our message and our systems and our ways look like Jesus' way, their response is defensiveness and aggression. Isn't that wild? Okay, so first, verse 35 is where we pick it up today. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So here we see him. He's going to every city, every village, and all the synagogues, their places of worship, and he's standing in those spaces. And then Matthew highlights here Jesus' consistency. Even in hostile contexts, Jesus still shows up, and here's what's at the center of his ministry. There's three main things that Matthew lists. His teaching, his proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So what we see in this is Jesus' teaching. So he teaches what? He teaches on the scriptures. He brings from the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And what he does is he teaches from them and reveals the heart of God from those scriptures. And often the phrase we hear from Jesus is this, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So Jesus is coming in with the most authoritative interpretation of the scriptures possible because it's God teaching God's word. Isn't that helpful? So Jesus comes and he's bringing serious clarity. But he's not just teaching. He's also proclaiming something. He's proclaiming that something is available and something is present. And that's the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. Here he's saying there's a way of escape. There's salvation available to you. A new kingdom is available here and now. And repent. This is where the message of repentance comes into play is to say, The ways that you've been living aren't working. Turn from them to God's way. Right? So he teaches from the scriptures, proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, and then heals every disease and every affliction to show that it works. He works. The impossible is possible. So when we look at it, Jesus' ministry is made up of three key things. The first is, He clears up the confusion of who God is and what God is like. That's so helpful to just go, here's who God is and this is what God is like and God is steadfast love and faithfulness. Just to hear that good news is a relief. The second thing is, is he offers people that escape from the futile ways of the kingdom of darkness. Look, you've been trying to find salvation like this. You've been working harder, expending yourself, looking to try and make your own breakthrough, and it's not working. And so to hear, 
the gospel of the kingdom, that God's kingdom is here and salvation is available and transformation is possible. Isn't that good news? God is good and His salvation works. And thirdly, He shows them how He is the way. He shows that He's the one of comfort. He's the way of healing. He's the way of forgiveness. He's the way of rescue. And He backs it up with power. It's not theoretical. It's reality. Now, here's the next question. If that's, that's Jesus' message, clearing up the confusion of who God is and what God is like, offering people an escape from the futile ways of this world, and showing them how Jesus is the way, how He is the way. The next question is, who is Jesus focused on first? Who does Jesus have his eye on? Now in chapter 10, we're going to look at this text a little bit more in a couple weeks. But I think it's helpful here to understand this. In verse 6, he says, when he sends out the disciples, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So who does he prioritize? The people of the faith. So the first stage of kind of Jesus' ministry or his mission, when thinking about us as a church to go, if we're to participate in this with him, he's saying the first people you should prioritize are the people that think or call themselves Christians or once did. That's the first stage of the mission. Isn't that interesting? We don't tend to think about that very often. And here's what we see of why, what's motivating that. In verse 36, we see what he found in their synagogues. So he goes to all the cities, all the villages, all the synagogues, and this is how Jesus describes what he found. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Is that a phrase we would ever want to hear Jesus say in description of our churches? But Jesus came to church, and what he found was a bunch of people who were being harassed and who were helpless. Isn't that a, that's a strong statement. But what, he's, what, he's, what Matthew is essentially describing is that this is the culture, this is the fruit of the ministry of the Pharisees. Is that the people felt harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd under their ministry. So rather than find safety and security and understanding and actual help from their religious leaders, the people are violently scolded and condemned. So what we see then is that Jesus is coming in and going, this is not the message of the Scriptures. This is not the ministry that God intended for His people. And look at the damage that it's done to those who are trying to believe and trust in Him. Now here's what I've seen through the years, is that religious leadership that produces a people who are harassed and helpless, often do three things opposite to the message of Jesus. The first is their teaching tends to be at the people instead of teaching for the people. 
So they take the scriptures and teach four, like the primary message seems to be about condemnation, not for revelation or for salvation. It's mostly about, do you see how much you suck and how God is mad at you? That seems to be one of the primary ways that I see harassment from religious leadership. The second is that they proclaim the curse, not the kingdom. So there's an obsession or fear over evil and focused on evil's consequences. Now hear me, it's not that, not, it's not that we're not sinners in need of salvation. We are. But condemnation isn't what's going to lead us to that saving faith, right? But the second is not that evil is benign or evil is not something we need to worry about, but the focus is on evil instead of on the solution. The focus is on the bad news instead of the good news. And that, honestly, that will come up constantly. Like, I I eventually have cut out many American Christian influences because of how obsessed they are with fear. Fear of evil, fear of everything, and everything is about this, you've got to stand up and battle, or else you're going to be caught up and destroyed. And it's not about the beauty of the Savior, the sufficiency of the Savior, the goodness of the Savior, the devotion of the Savior, it's all on the terribleness of evil. Now, remember, it's always, there's always truth in it, but it's a perversion. It flips it on its head. Because here's what it does. It leaves people feeling harassed because they're not good enough and fearful because evil is so terrible. And then the last thing is the emphasis of the message is on your work of salvation. The work you have to do to fight evil and to be righteous and to be saved. Which is all law and flesh. And so what we see even in the Pharisees' ministry is all about this, God is mad, your life is a mess and you've got to fix it or else God is going to destroy you. That's the predominant message that comes through. And the way that you fix it is you follow our steps, our hundreds of steps of how your life becomes righteous. And you could buy it for one easy price. And the problem is, is that the steps are so exhausting, only the rich have the time to do it. This is one of the pieces that don't get talked a lot about in the New Testament. It's only the rich have the time and the resources to do those things. Everyone else is so exhausted just trying to stay alive. This is why the poor are so enamored with Jesus, because it's a salvation for them. It's not based on more work. It's based on on resources coming to them from God to save them. It's God working for them. So, all this to say, the result we end up seeing is a broken and battered sheep wandering the world without a shepherd. That's that Ezekiel text of our reading this morning. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. 
hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search for them. This is how God's speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. So now we see God follow through on that desire in the person of Jesus. But this is where I think we find ourselves today is that there are so many harassed and helpless Christians. I meet them all the time. The most common phrase I hear here on the island is, I'm a recovering Catholic. I hear that all the time from people I meet. They find out, they're like, oh, you know, we become friends at the gym or in our neighborhood or something. They're like, what do you do? And I'm like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And they're like, well, what are you? I'm like, well, I'm a priest. No, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I am. I, I, I have to show people my business card because they, <laughs> they think I'm lying to them. I'm like, yes, this is what I do and this is what I love. And they're like, oh, man, I used to go to church. I grew up in church. My family went to church. But now I'm a recovering Catholic. You know, that's the most common phrase I hear. Or, you know, I was evangelical, but I'm not anymore. I used to go to church, but I've had enough. I think what we hear most commonly from people is that there's teaching that somehow created more confusion. There's treatment that condemned or banished them. And there is testimony of the gospel for eternal salvation, but not for earthly transformation. So what the predominant message that seems to come across to people that I talk to is, I was commanded to be holy, but not equipped and empowered by the gospel of grace to live that out. So if you're commanded to be holy, but aren't resourced to do it, what does that feel like? Harassment and helplessness. Because you're being told constantly you're not good enough, so you're harassed. But you're also not being resourced, so you feel very helpless. And let's be honest, life in a broken world feels like harassment and helplessness. It feels like bad things keep happening and I can't keep up with them. And I have no more resource. I have no more energy. I have no more wisdom. I have no more understanding. I don't know how to change this friggin' thing. And I'm exhausted. And you feel helpless. Is that fair to the human experience often? So then, if the message from the church is predominantly, pull up your bootstraps. And everyone goes, I don't even know what bootstraps are. You feel awfully helpless. So here, Jesus comes in, and here's the response that we see from him. It says that Jesus, when he sees all this, is what? He's moved with compassion. When he sees the people like this, he doesn't look at them and go and echo the same message that they've been hearing their whole lives. God is mad. Get your crap together. Try harder. He looks at it and he has compassion. He goes, I get it. I understand why you felt this way. I understand the pain that you have felt in feeling harassed by leadership and feeling helpless under their teaching. What is compassion? I think it's love that recognizes the value of the person and grief that compels one to act for them. 
That's what Jesus is doing. He looks at them and loves them and feels compelled and grieved in his heart to act for them. It's not, it's not a denouncing. He's not angry at them. He's not disappointed in them. He loves them. He's compassionate and understanding towards how hard it's been for them and wants to welcome them home. That's the heart of Jesus. And it's also, I think, a recognition of, a, of the failure of the character of the authorities, their teaching, and the systems that they created. This is what happens with every younger generation, it seems like. They look at the systems of their parents and their grandparents, and they see the flaws. What the church should do, different than every other organization in the world, is when they hear their flaws pointed out, they should rejoice at the opportunity to receive the gospel for them. That's honestly what I believe. There's going to come a day increasingly where my kids say to me, Dad, these are the holes and the gaps in your life. This is the church we experienced that you were a leader of, and it didn't represent Jesus. That's inevitable. You know that? Because there are holes and gaps, both in my home, in my life, and in my leadership of the church. There will be shortcomings, and they're going to be right to see them. So here's the question. How am I going to respond in that moment? It's already started to happen. It's a mixed response. Okay, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Some days I'm like, what are you talking about? And some days I think it's a healthier response. I think the healthier response is to go, I think you're right. I didn't have faith in Jesus for that area. So I just pushed through my own strength. I struggled in that area kind of quietly, secretly, and hoped you didn't notice. But now that you bring it up, now's the time for us to believe in Jesus for it together. That's what I honestly believe should be the response of the church. Do you agree? It's not easy. But what we see is these religious institutions have a very different posture towards this stuff. It's like, hunker down. Make it stronger. Make it harder. We don't take complaints here. You need to come in line. You're young, we're old. That's often the response. But because it's the way of Jesus that we're supposedly authorities representing, we have to show the beauty of repentance. We have to show the beauty of soft-heartedness. We have to show the beauty of ongoing growth even to our upper, older adult years, right? And I think when we do that, we model for our children how to believe the gospel for their shortcomings, weaknesses, and failures. Because don't they need that? And the temptation is to go, the best way I can teach you how to do that is to point out your faults so we can then... and. I do this often. I'll point at your faults so we can show you the gospel for it. But that takes equity. And so what it easily becomes with my kids is I'm just, I've just found myself pointing out your faults constantly. 
And Jesus is saying that looks more like harassment. I'm I'm breaking your heart down, more like harassment, and it's making them feel helpless because they're like, I can't change. I need to know my dad loves me. In that place of love and compassion, that's where we lead them to the gospel. This is hard work. I'm talking very bluntly with you. But this is, I think, the beauty of Jesus, where we see his uniqueness is his ability to come in and go, no, I get it, you're right. Where it's been hurting you, where it's been harming you, where the religious system has been more of a weight than a resource to you, I get it, and I agree. But my way, under my leadership, is goodness. It's compassion-driven transformation. So for us, I think what we want, if we're going to participate with Jesus in this kind of mission, the first thing we want is to have his message. And I think that message is to go, it's not all, it's not what, like the, the way of Jesus is not what you thought it was. The other ways that you've turned to are not working. And the way of Jesus truly is the truth and the life. Come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. That's the message, isn't it? It's not what you think it is. The other ways aren't working, but the way of Jesus does work. That's our message. Our motivation, or sorry, our priority, I think in this next season, is to go, who has fallen away from the faith? Who has fallen away from the church? who was a Christian at one point, and how do we prioritize them? Driven by compassion, not by harassment, but by compassion. A love that says, you're you're right, Where, where it hurt you, where it was wrong, where it fell short, you're right, and we're believing in Jesus for that now. But where you're hurting, and where you're not doing well, and where it's hard on you, and where you feel harassed and helpless, the way of Jesus works for you too. Just like it's working for me. But what that leads to is a congruency, I think, in the church, where our message is consistent. The church as an institution needs the way of Jesus. I as a person need the way of Jesus. And I'm compelled by compassion to see your struggle and go, you need a way that works. Because these other ones just expect you to save yourself. I think that's the good news of Christ. And what we see in this here is that these are Jesus' main motivations. Is He's got a message that's consistent with the Scriptures and is God's great message to the world. But He actually is in the problem with the people, moved by compassion, and is bringing a very real solution. A way that actually works for real human life. I think we want our message to be congruent with Jesus's. Now what we'll see in the coming weeks is how Jesus wants to go about that. His invitation to participate in it. Whose job it is to reap the harvest. We'll look at all those things. But I think we just need to start at square one and see The message is good news, isn't it? It's of salvation. It's for us. 
It's for you, it's for me, and it's for those who walked away from it because it was misrepresented. Right? And the way actually works. That's some of the conversation I'm having with people throughout the region. People who have been long gone from the church, grew up in it, and never wanted anything to do with it. I sit with them and I say, look, the church is not perfect and has never been, but Jesus is. And Jesus is working in our church. And if you can risk it, I can see we've talked lots about where you're struggling in life. I think you'll see that Jesus can work for that too. And if you can risk it, because I know you've been harassed, I know you felt helpless, I know you felt worn out, but if you can risk it, I think what you'll find in us is a community that's truly trusting in the way of Jesus. And what people are doing is going, is they're processing it, going, am I ready to take the risk? Am I tired of this other stuff? Has it wore me out? And am I ready to try Jesus again? That seems to be the process. And if you look around, there's a lot of people here who have been through that process and are going, I'm finding Jesus again. And I love being here. And this church feels safe for me. Is that true? But it all comes from Jesus, the Lord of the harvest. It's all predicated on him. And he's the one that gets our full attention. So let's do that now. If you're comfortable with it, you can close your eyes and just prepare your own heart. Just kind of do a full body check to go, okay, where's my heart at? Where are my emotions at? What are the thoughts running through my head? How am I even feeling that in my body? Because right now in this moment, Jesus is interacting with your life your relationships, your struggle, your fears.